just a few housekeeping items before we get started with this week's episode. Number one, please check out our website, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. And also make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on any of the platforms that you listen to it on, which might be Apple uh, Podcasts or Spotify or any of the others. And finally, if you've ever gotten any value from the show, please share it with your friends, with your colleagues, with your coworkers, because like we always say, we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that can help you to build and maintain wealth. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with Certified Financial Planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. My name is David Chuddick, and as you know, I am a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial, and I help my clients to make the right financial decisions for them for the reasons that are important to them. Now, you may have, may have noticed lately some stock market volatility. The market's going up and down and up and down. If you'd like a video that our firm has put out about some of the, um, some of the risk management practices that we have in place, email me, David, at parallelfinancial.com. I can shoot you that link, and I'll also put it in the show notes. And then uh, you can compare it to what you are doing for, uh, for the risk management within your own portfolio. But today, um, I'm, I'm very excited to have a good friend of mine, Will Trailer, on. And Will helps business owners. And let's face it, a lot of our listeners are business owners. And, and business owners are pulled in 48 different directions. We have so much going on. And I have such a heart for the entrepreneurs of this world because, you know, really the small business owners run the country and we're a big part of the economy. And Will's going to talk about some of the um, some sales tips and, and some uh, sales, sales management uh, tips today for, for, for entrepreneurs and their teams. So, hey, Will, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited about this one. This is a good one. This is an area that I've actually struggled in in the past. So, uh, hey, tell me a little bit about um, about where you are and a little bit about your professional background, what you've done in the past. You bet. My, I'm Will Trailer. I live in Seneca, South Carolina now after 22 years in Colorado. Uh, we made a move last year and I'm really excited to be in this area of the country and, and really enjoying it. Um, I do... Uh, uh, something called fractional sales management. Um, I help small businesses that uh, typically have an owner or maybe a startup scenario. I help them uh, with the sales management function, not really as a consultant, but as a part-time employee of sorts. So, Well, that's pretty cool. So was this your first winter in South Carolina or, or were you the last? Yeah. So a little, I bet you had a little bit, a uh, little bit different experience this winter, huh? We actually moved out one year ago today. I oh, moved wow. out of Colorado with four feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a it's been nice not to have to dig out in in the first part of April. So absolutely, I actually um, I grew up in New York and then I lived in the Catskills, which probably isn't isn't quite as cold as Colorado, but. Um, in Colorado, they don't buy all the milk and bread when there's even a threat of snow, do they? Like right. they do here. I, I can't figure out psychologically what causes that in South Carolina. So it's, uh, it, it's craziness. So what you do is called fractional sales management, which um, it's... 
it's kind of a cool term. And, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, like what type of a business you help and how you help them um, to, to, to grow their revenue, to grow their bottom line and to be more efficient. Certainly. Well, some small businesses do have a problem. The problem is uh, the owner, if it has an owner, oftentimes is wearing a whole lot of hats, can't do it all. And oftentimes that I run across the owner, if they're like most people, doesn't like dealing with salespeople. Can we just go ahead and admit that most people don't want to deal with the salespeople unless they have to? Absolutely. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Guilty as charged. Well, I take that burden from them, number one, and help them get what we would consider a proven and repeatable process in their um, in the sales activities of their organization, their company. I work with anybody. My very first uh, client was a construction company and I work with some biotech companies and software companies now. So uh, it's been a a very diverse, uh, I guess, market. I guess the common denominator is the size of the sales force tends to be quite small. And we've got quite a few folks wearing a lot of hats and they need to Mm -hmm. offload some of that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a small business owner, I've I've worn the hat of plumber. I've worn the hat of of, of landscaper. I've worn the hat of of janitor, and uh, also uh, at times the chief revenue producer. So so it definitely is a lot of hats. And as a small business owner, we're able to offer so many services, but it, it is hard to compete with the Fortune 500 companies that have full-time sales managers, that have maybe a team of sales managers and more resources. So, so using yourself or someone like you kind of on a fractional basis, I mean, I really love, I love that concept. So Yeah, I do have a hard time explaining to people what I do. So mm-hmm. it, it's probably best to give an example. So a lot of folks in this market will... They'll, they'll outsource their bookkeeping or maybe they'll outsource uh, the CFO function at, at, a, at a larger organization. That's what I'm doing for the sales leadership position. And uh, it's, it, there's, a, there's a right customer for it, but when it's, when it's right, it's really right. So um, I've had some success doing this. Love it. I love it. So, uh, I mean, what qualifies you to be a fractional sales manager? What, what, um, what experiences in, in, in your professional career have given you kind of those skills and abilities to help smaller sales forces to succeed? Well, I could say the number one thing that helps me do this job is I failed quite a few times trying to build a sales force. So uh, I've probably learned more from my failures in this aspect of of my job than I did from my successes. Um, I was in charge of several small sales forces. I'd say I'd have under 10 salespeople reporting to me. Um, there were times when I, I knocked it out of the park, grew sales, doubled sales, you know, year after year, and other times that I had to take a, a long look in the mirror and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? So I think every small business is more afraid of the failure they might experience than they are of the wins, then they get excited about the wins that they have. So um, I've been in their shoes and have done this uh, for 22 years now. So I love it. So one of the words that you mentioned before that that is a beautiful word, especially when it comes to, to when it's dealing with revenue is, is repeatable. So how does, I mean, how, how does a, a repeatable process occur? Because a lot of times I think, I don't know. I mean, I think salespeople are thinking, I have to think about the acts. Each, each case has to be handled totally different. 
and and that may may not be the case, right? Well, I think there's certain milestones in sales that are, are repeatable. Now, each interaction has its own unique, um, I guess, aspect or 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 sub process. And I think one of the things that I like to do when I work with a brand new account is actually sit down and map your sales process. Um, it's probably one of the most enlightening things that happens for a small business owner because they think they have one process and maybe they actually have three. Or no so, process that- Or no process at all. Right. Yeah, or a combination of 39 of them that never actually happens correctly. So uh, in, in each step of the process, you do kind of a, what's been called a TQM process of asking the five whys. Why are we doing this? So um, that's very, very important to understand and, and kind of drill down into the root cause of why are we doing this and is this the appropriate activity? So. Yeah, no, I, I like it. And then also, doesn't the repeatability and the process part, I mean, does that take away indecision? I think salespeople are either super, super outgoing um, and then, but I think you have the other end of the spectrum where people will, they'll just not pick up the phone because they're not sure of the exact right words to say. But if there's kind of a pre-planned script that's worked in the past, and I know scripts are sometimes kind of a bad word. People don't like to use the word scripts, but you know, there are certain word tracks that work better than other word tracks, aren't there? Um, I would say yes. And it, a lot of times it depends upon your industry. So I, I work with people that do some, you know, business to consumer type selling, but I also work with business to business type companies. So um, no salesperson wants to come across as scripted, but they do need to be able to hold a conversation. And most of the, if you need a script, it needs to be practiced and well rehearsed. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you need to be able to hold a conversation that really dives into the customers, what we like to call pain points. So, yep. Yep. And if, if there's no pain, uh, I actually work with a, a business coach and um, uh, what is it that he says? Uh, clients or prospects, they don't do anything until the perceived pain of making a change is less, I'm sorry, is greater than the perceived change of not making a change. So especially in my yeah. industry, when, when stock markets and, and, and markets are going up, um, you know, over time, the perception is, well, I don't really need to change my financial advisor. I need to, I don't even really need to change anything because the markets are always going to go up. So there's really no pain there. But then as, as we have market volatility, uh, clients sees, sees their accounts going down a little bit, or maybe if, when laws change, then there's a little bit more pain. We're staying where they are. Then um, oftentimes they're a little bit more likely to, to make a change and, 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 and engage the service of a financial advisor or, or change, change, uh, change financial advisors. So. So like what size businesses do you, do you work with? What, what, what type of, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint, none of us work for free. We're not going to talk about any, any of your fee structures or anything like that. Um, but, but what type of a business can, can benefit from you? So I can say typically um, anywhere from, if you have 10 or fewer salespeople, you probably struggle um, especially if you're 50 million in sales a year or less to hire, uh, I'll say this, you know, the cream of the crop of sales leadership. Um, one of the challenges that many businesses face is they're, they really can't pay a uh, top tier sales leader what those folks can make in the Fortune 500 realm of, I guess, business. 
So you're left with some options. Do you, do you make a sales leader out of your best sales rep? That has some real negative uh, effects sometimes. And sometimes. those are two totally different skill sets, right? I might be able to sell something to you very well, but not lead a sales team or vice versa. I don't, I think that's a horrible idea, at least on the surface. It doesn't, you know, just because you're a great salesperson does not at all mean you're going to be a great sales leader. Correct. I think uh, we can look at a, a variety of different sporting events to see where star, even greatest of all time athletes really are mediocre at, at the coaching role. Um, so in, in part of it, something that comes natural to people, and one of the reasons why I say failure has helped me uh, develop this role and, and do better is one, sales did not come naturally to me at first. I was a science guy when I started. Um, the advantage I had as a, a sales rep is I was naturally curious as a science guy. So I had to tap into my curiosity to actually have meaningful conversations with my clients and then develop my sales muscle. So I've been on both sides of it where one performed at a high level, but at the same time had to really work on my skills and abilities to, to improve. So, well, that brings up an interesting question because oftentimes you'll, 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 you'll meet someone that everybody thinks, Hey, this guy is really, really friendly, or this gal is really, really friendly. They should go into sales. Cause all you have to be is friendly, right? Which is total fallacy. Now, you're a super good dude, but you know, you're not the most kind of energetic, like super salesy dude. And, and it, it's not a surprising thing at all that you say, hey, you know, you were a science guy. So, so you don't fit the prototypical kind of salesman per type person, but you mentioned you've had to work on your skills. So can anybody develop the skills to be a good salesperson? I would say almost anybody can. Okay. Um, one of the challenges that, that I think small businesses have is uh, there's a myth in, I guess, in hiring that we're going to hire a bunch of A players. Um, the true quote, A player, A sales rep is, is in, quite frankly, in demand. And they're, they're going to go where they make the most money. Mm -hmm. um, it is my belief that we can, a small business can put together a very effective sales team with typically very conscientious, motivated people that some might consider high-performing B players. Um, you, it, there's just not a deep enough pool of A players in every scenario for every business to, to bring on board and, quite frankly, afford. So how do we make highly conscientious people extremely good at what they do and, and, and have them perform consistently for your company? And hopefully, you know, reduce turnover, which is a real problem in sales. Oh, turnover is is one of the biggest expenses for any business. And you know, you and I, I mean, we live in Oconee County. I don't know what the population of Oconee County is, but I think it's fifty or a hundred thousand. So just by sheer numbers, I mean, we don't have an infinite number of sales superstars in our geographic area. And if it's some, if it's a scenario where we need someone physically in our offices you know, just the pool is, is not that great. So someone like yourself that can take really good people and turn them, you know, to work towards turning them into champions, I think is very important. And the other thing I would add is that small business, there are a lot of perks to working for fortune 500 companies. They have lots of resources. They can do great benefits, things like that. But oftentimes 
Fortune 500 companies are run from from the headquarters, thousands of miles away, and and you may just be as a as a team member, you may be a number, and they may decide everybody at this at XYZ level is getting terminated or taking a pay raise. Whereas if you work for my office, um, you know you're you're a human being. You're literally part of my family, and and there's a lot of value to that as well. I believe. I, I would agree with that. Um, again. One of the challenges that, that small business folks have, and I, I guess, is trying to make sense of some of the media that they're, they read. You get on LinkedIn and you read a lot of blogs. And, you know, what lead management system should I have? And what's CRM? How should I be leveraging CRM? I try to help people, I, I guess, manage the, the chaos of information that may not be appropriate for um, every level of organization. If you're doing well now, why is it that you're doing well? Could you add some lead generation possibly? What if you're, what if you're not closing the leads that you should? What if they're not moving through the sales process and you're really leaving money on the table? Maybe your lead generation process is fine. You just, you just need to improve moving your, your clients through your own sales process if you have one. So Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So having a process and then are we efficiently using, uh, using the process for sure, I think is a great, great point. Uh, great point to, to think about. Well, um, I, I would, I would, I would say it this way. The most expensive thing you do in marketing is give a, a great, highly qualified lead to a bad salesperson. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in small business, we want to win the ones that we should win. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing that a business owner I deal with I guess, deals with is the things they think they should win and for some reason aren't, and they can't figure out why. That's, that's where I really have an uh, ability to help. So. Okay. So another thing that I think is important when dealing with a sales team is money and, and compensation. Do you work with the owner and the leadership team on comp packages? Because you know, some people work really, really well in a commission-only structure with uncapped earnings, and they're okay with having little to no base. Other people need a base, so you know that's always been a little bit of a challenge for me. Is is how do you how do you balance out the base with with bonuses and commissions and things like that? So, is that an area where you can help the business owner? It is, and one of the things that I, I do have to remind business owners that it's not always about dollars and cents with with salespeople. Um, I'll give you an example. I've got a, a client's $50 million business. They just lost one of their top reps in the Boston area. Uh, that rep was making somewhere in the neighborhood of $230,000 last year. That's not small change for anyone. Um, 31 year old young guy, um, you know, family, you're thinking, wow, he's making, he's making a little bank here. He's probably going to stay. And why did he leave? Um, when we really dug down and to figure out why he left because he left on good terms. It was his perceived opportunity to grow. He, he took a less money at a, another company because he won a title mattered to him, believe it or not, of all things. And the perception that he would be able to grow into some sort of leadership role. Okay. So I think you have to take compensation, especially in a small company in, in context with other things that people may value as their career develops. Yeah. I mean, I, even, you know, f- scheduling flexibility, you know, in, in small towns, I mean, if you have a family, go, if it's important to go to your kids' ball games or to be able to work from home, if they're sick, things like that, I think are, 
I mean, yes, we need money, um, but not everybody is motivated by the paycheck in the same in the in the same manner. So one of the things that small business owners can do, this is kind of a tip I'll give them. Um, if you work for the Fortune 500, 100 company, oftentimes the commission structure is highly variable from year to year. You have a good year year in 2022, 2023, you're going to be piled on. Ooh, um, they're going to okay. dump all of their goals and aspirations for 2023 into your comp plan. Uh, I've seen some interesting statistics. It's like uh, something less than half of people actually make their quota in, in these organizations. And it has more to do with the variability of the comp plan structure, this, this gamification of the comp plan. Um, than it really does with probably the skill sets of the people. I mean, if you can blow your number out in 2021 and all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the heap in 2022. Is it really you or is it a goal? You've been given a goal that is so stretched that it's going to take a, you know, a little bit of a miracle to, to, to hit. As a small business owner, you can structure a comp plan, even if it's not as lucrative on the top end, that will keep people motivated um, and keep them in the game working for your company because they, it's like a game of keep away as a kid. If you never get the ball, you stop playing. That's true. Yeah. 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 I like that. And I like, you know, if you look at how, how many billions of dollars do fast food restaurants make just because their people have to say, would you like fries with that? And fries are probably a, you know, a high margin item and that's why they chose fries but, um, you know, that simple process of everybody gets asked, would you like fries? I'm sure these, these franchises, they have statistics on, on how much money. And quite frankly, they may even need the fry money to, to kind of keep the doors open because maybe some of the other items may be, may be loss leaders. But that part of the process, I think, is very important. And um, I don't know, it's almost like if you could build in some, some process activity-based goals into your comp plan, in addition to results goals, that may be the best of both worlds because you can't control the results, but you can control um, your actions. Yeah, I, in one of the, I guess the my common, I guess conversation with the business owner is, how about this? Uh, sales reps sell something, they get paid. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, it's not if they get paid if three things happen. Maybe it's a lower payout, but every time the salesperson has a win, they get a commission. All right. Winning has a way of making people want to win more. Mm -hmm. So uh, if, if you need a supercomputer to, to figure out your payout, it's probably too complex a, a payout. So mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, that do some small business owners have to get comfortable with and with salespeople is that you should rejoice when you're paying a commission. That means you've won business. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, I deal with folks that might have started as engineers, they're computer guys, et cetera. Sales is uh you know, a foreign language to them. We, we want, it's not an expense or even, a, even though it is a cost of goods sold, it's an expense that's related to winning business. So if you're not profitable after paying commission, we need to look at your commission structure, of course, and make sure it, it aligns with your business plan, but you should be happy that you're paying commissions and hopefully paying a lot of them because that means you're winning a lot of business, hopefully profitably. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, pay, if you're not paying out commissions, you're not selling anything. And, and that um, that's definitely, definitely a hard thing. What would you say to the owner that um, uh, 
oh, I don't know. They're, they're, they're trying to do everything. So they're, they're trying to be kind of the, the main sales guy or sales gal. And quite frankly, the owner of a small business typically has the greatest chance of closing a deal because their name is on the sign and, and, and they have more skin in the game. You know, they, they understand the, um, but, but when the owner is the only revenue producer, the owner is one person. So, so how do you, how do you get, um, the owner to kind of pass some leads off to, to somebody else and, and, and get them to start generating revenue as well? That, that is a great question. My very first client had that exact same scenario, construction company. The owner was also the lead sales guy. And uh, what we had to do in working with, with him is get his process out of his head, figure out what part of that process that he went through was you know, natural to him versus what we could put into other people and then decide if and when he should be involved in the sales process. Now, as a construction company, you're, he was a remodeler. Um, he's a big part of the brand of that company. So if it's a large job at some point, he needed to probably make an appearance, <laughs> um, maybe a note or something, but he couldn't run every aspect of the company. He needed some salespeople to actually follow up on leads. So we figured out that maybe in his case, anything that was under $150,000 in sales reps could handle any job that was 150 and over at some point, he would be involved in that sales process, maybe at the close. So um, I, I think it's a, something that you need to work out individually based on your own business, your own brand and, 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 and when you might be necessary. But at some point, you do need to get those processes out of your own head and have the business work for you. Uh -huh. <laughs> you work in your business, right? So, uh -huh. which is a goal, of, should be a goal of most of the business owners that I work with. It's that they're working in their business instead of on it. Um, so, yep, can't do everything, can't do everything. So, kind of getting close to wrapping it up here, tell, talk to me a little bit about. Do you do uh, personality, you know, disc testing and things like that? And and talk to me about what does that tell you, and what does that tell the owners and, and the salesperson, and and what's the value of using disc or any other um, uh, evaluations that that you might use? Yes, yeah, so I, I like disc. It's been around a while. Um, disc is is been known most as helping you on one understand how you like to communicate and be communicated with. For example, you break it down into the, the four quadrants of DISC, D-I-S-C, D being a, you know, somebody's a driver. So if you can quickly understand um, from a client, for example, that they're a high D, you need to adapt your communication style, how you communicate with that person to that person's, that person's personality. They want you to get to the point, talk about results. You know, they're not, they don't, they're not friendly. You know, we, we don't, we don't come they don't come across as clients that want to buddy with you um, after hours and, and go out for a, a, a cocktail or something. So by knowing yourself and, and being able to assess your client, you, you can better in, have a better client interaction and hopefully drive to the right result. So yeah, I do use that. It's a, it's an important part of our process. We maybe halfway through an engagement with, my, with a client, I'm going to, try to get one, the disc style of the clients to figure out how the, the owner and his salespeople <laughs> communicate. A big challenge with if you're a highly technical, maybe if you're a, an engineer, you're a, you're a C, you're very conscientious and your high D, high I salespeople can drive you nuts. 
So understanding yourself and understanding who you're trying to communicate with can be very beneficial. And it's, it's a big part of my process. Is it up. fair to say that certain communication styles don't work as effectively with certain other communication styles, or is it just, they can kind of, you know, like a C doesn't work necessarily well with a D as, as, as well as others might work well together. I would say um, if you can recognize it and adapt, any communication style can work with the other person. Um, so if, if you happen to be selling, you're a high D or a high I, you know, you're, you're very into relationships, you know, you've got a lot of energy, you're very optimistic, and you're working with a C who's very data-driven, understanding that one, you're, you're not going to become buddies probably, mm-hmm. but you get respect by knowing your numbers and, and focusing on results, you're, you're, you're probably going to have a better outcome and develop a better rapport with somebody that's got a different communication style than you do. So yeah, you can adapt. If it's unadapted, uh, you may have trouble. So yeah. Yeah. Well, the people in this world who are successful, they do what the unsuccessful people don't want to do. And that's learn your communication style. Sometimes it's saying, you know, Hey, I'm sitting with this guy named Will right now. And he looks like he just wants me to give him the facts. I want to be his buddy, but the money is flowing from him to me. So I need to speed up my, my presentation, give him what he wants and needs. And he's probably not going to dinner with me, but that's okay because I believe I have the right solution for him and I need to communicate that in a way that works for him, not necessarily for me because the money's coming from him to me. <laughs> that's, that's why we're in business. Uh, at least one of the reasons, right? We we're making a living here. So uh, right. to serve our clients, is communicate with our clients, how they would like to be communicated with. Yep. So. Awesome. All right. So a, a business owner that's listening to this, maybe on their drive home, they've been at work since uh, since 6 a.m. and they've, they've, they've put out some fires and they've been busy. They've had a good day. They've had a bad day, but they know they have a salesperson or two that you know are not performing quite the way that they should. And it's not that they're bad people, but the business owner doesn't have time to, to coach them and or even the ability how does that person find you? How do they engage with you? And what would that process look like to determine if Will is actually the right person to help them with their sales force? Certainly. I'm not for everyone. And, and I will walk away from business that I don't believe I can make an impact. But the very first thing that, that I do, that we do, is we do an assessment of your of your whole sales process. So that's, a, that's a, maybe about an hour and a half with me uh, talking with the business owner and, and getting an idea from how you generate leads to what coaching uh, deficits you may have in your organization. And that could be in that. person or virtual, right? I mean, in, you know, in person or virtual, it's a report. I'll provide you with a report. Okay. Um, you can you know, reach out to me at my cell phone, which is probably the best way to get in touch with me. 303-621-6032 or my website, actionaxiom.com. Perfect. I love it. So I encourage the business owners always out there um, to work with professionals, work with people that know what they're doing in the areas where where you and I as business owners are not incredibly uh, skillful. Uh, I was part of Dan Sullivan's strategic coach program for a while. He talked a lot about unique abilities. There's a few things that I can do for my organization that I am exceptionally qualified to do. And quite honestly, the rest of it needs to be done by somebody else, or I should be working towards having the resources to have, have everybody else have, have other people who have differing unique abilities, um, handle those type of things. You mentioned bookkeeper. That's why I have, you know, I can, 
I guess, almost balance the checkbooks, but I'm not going to do a good job at it. And somebody else is much better at it. And it's interesting. My bookkeeper actually says she's enjo- she enjoys doing bookkeeper to which bookkeeping work to which I responded. Are you insane? Are you crazy? But the world needs everybody, right? So that's, also. that's exactly my role in sales. So for the, if, if it's not your bailiwick, if you're not, if you're struggling with it, um, it might be time to bridge that gap between hiring somebody that is underskilled in doing the job versus working with me on a part-time or fractional basis to get you a, hopefully a best-in-class sales leadership and sales process in place so that you can grow your business and count on some revenue. So. I love it. All right. So this is the time in the episode where I put you on the spot. Uh, you and I, we had lunch the other day. We talked about some of the things we we're going to talk about, but I purposefully didn't mention this question. Sure. Uh, because I always want uh, I always want uh, a spontaneous response. So we're the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that can help you to build and maintain wealth. And for a business owner, having good sales processes is yes, absolutely going to help them to gain financial wealth. Um, but I would like for to have Will Trailer's definition of true wealth. So to you personally, what is the definition of true wealth? What makes you wealthy? That is a, a very deep question, and I'm going to try to give you uh, an answer that um, it's more on the, for lack of a better word, uh, spiritual side of life. I believe that you, you derive meaning from a variety of different um, aspects of life, family, community, um, country. For some people, it's their faith. For, for others, they, we do uh, derive an ex- exceptional amount of meaning from our work. Work is important. Um, What gives me a lot of meaning is helping these small business owners who have struggled through this pandemic, um, give them a leg up that quite frankly, they didn't get that the Fortune 500s, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Zooms, which we're using, benefited from the lockdowns. I wanna help these folks succeed and grow. And like you said, they're the backbone of our economy and and they're important. And that's a great subject of meaning. And to me, that meaning is, is translates into wealth. So I love it. I have such a passion for the small business owners of the world. Um, If you're not a small business owner, you don't know about the times where the small business owner didn't get paid for two months and they worked extra or, 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 you know, they, they payroll was coming and, and you literally had to find the money. And, and other times, you know, we do well and, and, and there's no, no shame in that we, we deserve it, but um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but um, the, the, the highs are high and the lows can be lows. And you take something like COVID, which was no, no small business owner's fault. And it, it, if you owned a restaurant during COVID, that was a tough, tough time for sure. And, and, and there, there is no, uh, no fault of your own. So this has been awesome. I appreciate your expertise and your time. So anybody who's interested, uh, uh, Will's phone number is uh, 303-621-6032. I'll put that in the contact, uh, in, the, in the show notes as well. And 
action, A-C-T-I-O-N, axiom, A-X-I-O-M.com. Uh, check it out. You know, have a conversation with Will. If he's not for you and if you're not for him, hey, you know what? You'll probably just still learn something. And if it does work out that you're just a really, really good fit, um, I don't think business owners or anybody ever regret making investments in the health of their business. And that's what hiring experts can do for you. So with that being said, we wish everybody a blessed week, a wonderful week, a profitable week. And hey, Will, let's uh, let's grab lunch again one of these days. It was a great conversation. Love to do it again. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode with Will Trailer. If you feel like fractional sales management might be something that could help your business, um, email W Trailer. That's W T R A Y L O R at actionaxiom.com. Or even, hey, just give him a call or shoot him a text at 303 621 6032. And we wish you a blessed week until next episode.